0: We explores love asking questions. What do germs do when they get in your body? Why can
1: dolphins hold their breath for so long, but humans can't? What came first, the chicken or the egg?
0: Lucky for us, we talk to someone who answers questions all day, every day. It's Mystery Doug. Mystery Doug knows a good question when he hears one. Like that age-old riddle, what did come first? Was it the chicken or was it the egg? That's such a great question. Explorers ask great questions and Mystery Doug answers today on Explorers Explorers Club. Mystery Doug, thanks for joining us on the Explorers Club podcast. Hi,
1: Kate. Thanks for having me on.
0: So kids have been hearing a lot about germs lately, and you recently released a video on how to fight germs. Can you give us some tips on what's going on with those germs?
1: What we talked about was, The idea that germs aren't just something that magically uh, gets you sick just by being near them. They're very small. They're microscopically small. And they have to get in your body a certain way. And a lot of the germs that make us sick, um, they they don't get into your body through your skin. They can only get into your body through openings in your body, especially your eyes, your nose, your mouth. And so this is why you hear a lot more of don't touch your face. And that's the logic behind that. So our video talked about the idea of why people are recommending not touching your face and also the importance of washing your hands. That soap gets the germs off of your hands. We unconsciously touch our face a huge number of times per day. So by washing our hands regularly, we kind of lower the chances that germs can get into our bodies.
0: Well, Elsa from Sun Prairie wonders, how does soap kill germs? And why is 20 seconds so important for handwashing? Why not, like she says, 18 seconds or 22 seconds?
1: <laughs> I love that. That's a great question. Right? When you hear a recommendation like that, why, how do they come up with that number? One thing that's so interesting about the coronavirus is um, normally I would tell people what's interesting about soap is that it doesn't kill the germs. The soap actually, most of the time, it helps spread the water around your hands so that the germs get washed off of your hands. But in the case of of this coronavirus that's going around, scientists have found out that the outer layer of this germ actually gets destroyed by the soap itself. So even just getting that soap on your hands is so important for this. Now, why 20 seconds? That's such a great question. Scientists found out that the longer you move soap back and forth over your hands, ideally, you know, really scrubbing that soap over every little part of your hands, the more likely it was you were to get any germs off of your hands. So they had to pick some number. Now, 20 seconds is good. It could have been 18. That might have been a little too short. 22 felt like it was maybe a little bit too long. So 20 was just kind of in the sweet spot.
0: A nice round number there. Rosalind from Sun Prairie wants to ask, what is the difference between a germ and a virus?
1: Oh, I love this question. That's great. So a, a, a virus is a type of germ. And we all hear about germs from the time we're really young, right? Our parents are saying, like, if you drop some food on the ground, don't, don't eat that. Don't pick that up. It has germs on it. Germs can make you sick. But people haven't always known that germs are what make us sick, they're so small that before microscopes were invented, it would have been impossible to even know about them. Well, once we discovered that germs are what cause people to get sick, we started to realize there's all different kinds of germs and different kinds of germs cause different sicknesses. So a virus is just one category of germ. They're, they're really the smallest of germs. They're, they're so small that even when the microscope was, was first being used to discover germs, people didn't know about viruses because you need very powerful microscopes to even see a virus. Um, another thing that's kind of weird about viruses compared to other germs, viruses are, they, it turns out that they have to get into your body in order to even um, make copies of themselves, in order to even have like offspring, which is if you're hearing things about like with the coronavirus, if, if someone is worried that there's some coronavirus on some surface, people talk about you can just leave it sitting there for a few days and the germ will die. It's one of the things about viruses, they're actually very weak in a funny way, where they they absolutely need to be in another living thing in order to survive.
0: Oh, and they don't really like sunlight either, um, or being exposed to the elements outside?
1: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, And there's some debate about how long this particular virus can survive. There's some viruses that can live longer on some surfaces than others. But this coronavirus is actually pretty puny when it comes to things like sunlight, when it comes to things like bleach wipes. As I mentioned earlier, soap, even soap alone can destroy it.
0: Let's bring in Bethany now, who is joining us from Green Bay this morning. Hi, Bethany. Hi. Hi. What's your question for Mystery Dog? What's the heaviest animal? What is Ooh, the heaviest Bethany. animal? Yeah. If you had to guess, if you had to guess, what would you guess it is?
1: Um, Maybe um a rhinoceros. A rhinoceros? That's interesting. I mean, one thing that, you have to think about when you ask a question like this is, which animals do you have in mind? Are you counting all animals or only animals that live on land?
0: Um, all animals.
1: Okay. It's interesting because if you go with all animals, then you have to think as well about an animal that lives in the ocean. Whales, right? And the largest whale is the blue whale. It's the largest animal on earth. So I think that if we had to pick one animal to say that, would, I'd have to go with the blue whale. But that said, as I'm looking here and checking, it looks like the heaviest animal that lives on land, you were close, is an animal that lives in Africa, but it's an elephant.
0: That's a great question. Thank you so much for calling in. Let's bring in Keen now, joining us from Edgerton this morning. Hi, Keen. Hello. Hi, what's on your mind for Mystery Doug? What exactly is the coronavirus, is what I'm wondering.
1: That's a great question. Yeah, the coronavirus, it gets its name because that word corona comes from an ancient word for a crown. When scientists use a really uh, special microscope to, that can actually see this virus, it has these little spiky things on the, on, the, on the outside of it that looks like sort of the spiky thorns on a crown. And so that's how it gets its name, the coronavirus. One thing that was really surprising about all this is that the common cold is a type of coronavirus. So this coronavirus that's going around, it's a special kind of coronavirus. It's in the same family of the same germ that gives us a cold. But obviously, this one is more worrisome because the symptoms of this are not just the symptoms of the cold.
0: Keen, does that make sense? Yeah, I hear
1: what you're saying. So it's like more, it's like a normal cold, but it like spreads faster and it has little spikes on its virus. So that's how you can tell what it is. It has, Yep. all of the coronaviruses have those spikes, but this one, something unusual, and this is, Keen, this great, gets at something great, which is, scientists don't yet know why is this one causing people to get more sick? This one is causing, for example, in the people that get really sick, I mentioned their bodies aren't able to get enough oxygen. That's weird. That doesn't happen with the common cold, right? You're asking a question that's that's really, it's great because this is something where there isn't a known answer. No one knows for sure yet. Well, why is this one causing all of these problems? And hopefully people are going to get to the bottom of this. This is in developing a A treatment or a vaccine for it, they're going to have to be able to answer questions like, "Well, why does this one cause so much, so many more problems than just a cold?"
0: We've heard from uh, Samantha Uh, Keen. Thank you so much, Samantha. In Sun Prairie, is wondering, can animals get viruses? That's
1: so interesting, right? We hear about we're thinking about all of all of us getting viruses and the fact that we get the flu and we get colds. But do animals get these things? The answer is absolutely. Dogs and cats can get colds, for example. Um, there are even more serious viruses that, that pets can get. And one thing I thought was really interesting, and I don't, I don't want this to be scary because you, your pets are safe, but the, um, in the 1970s, there was even a virus that was, um, got, caused a lot of dogs to get really sick, and that was spreading around, kind of like the coronavirus is causing people to get sick. So there was a pandemic for dogs that happened in the 1970s. But yeah, animals absolutely can get them. And, you know, the one the one good thing in some of this is that often when animals have a virus, it's only a virus that affects that type of animal. It's more unusual for a virus to jump from one animal to another, although that can happen. And it's thought that with this type of coronavirus that's going on, around, it might be one of those that jumped from an animal to human beings.
0: This question comes from a kid I know very well. My Oliver in Madison wants to know, Hey, Mystery Doug, how did the coronavirus start anyway?
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. A lot of people are wondering about this. And the, the honest answer, I think, is that nobody knows for sure. There's been a lot of guessing about it. Um, it does seem to be, when scientists have been looking at it closely under a microscope, it does seem like it, it's a natural virus. So there's been some concern, did, was this a virus that maybe people invented or created? And there doesn't seem to be any reason to think that. It was one that has been going around in nature. But nobody knows exactly where it was from. There's some thought that it might have come from an animal, like, for example, a type of bat. Apparently, a lot of bats do have lots of viruses that they don't hurt the bats. But when they jump from bats to other animals, they can hurt those animals. We still don't know for sure if that's what happened here. That's one of those things where scientists who are working right now, you know, waking up even this morning and going to work to work on trying to find a treatment for this, they're going to want to find answers to questions like that.
0: Well, let's take another call. Pia Bella is joining us from Madison. Hi, Pia Bella. What's your question for Mystery Doug?
1: What do germs do when they get inside of your body?
0: Oh, how do they make themselves at home? Yeah. What do they do? Right. That's That's
1: a great question. You know what surprises me about this, Pia Bella, is It doesn't take a very much of a germ to get into your body before it makes you sick. What happens is scientists found out once it, once a germ gets into your body, it starts to make copies of itself. And then there's a lot more of those germs in your body. The more and more of them there are, your body starts to try to attack them. Now, usually your body succeeds. Eventually your body winds up attacking all of those and, and fighting them off and your body wins. But as it's doing that, that, causes a lot of the things that what, is what we call a sickness, right? So when you get a fever, when your muscles are aching, when you're coughing and sneezing, all of those things are things your body is trying to do to get the virus out of your body and to fight against it.
0: Pia Bella, thank you so much for, for calling in. We have Kajia in Sun Prairie wondering, Mystery Doug, why did you want to be a scientist?
1: Mm, that's a great question. Thank you for asking that. Um, I chose to be a science educator because a lot of these things scientists have found out, they know so many things now that it's, it's its own job to just figure out how to make that simpler and how to make that something that everyone can understand. And so I was really drawn to that. Um, and the other thing about it is now, if you want to be a scientist, very often it's important that you choose one part of science and get really good at that. So for example, my wife who's a research scientist. She studies the brain. And not just the brain, but she studies how people remember things. Um, And for me, I just knew from from the time I was young, I loved so many different parts of science. I like living things. I like space. I like rocks. And so one of the job opportunities that's available there is to work in the realm of science education or science explaining. So that's what drew me to that.
0: Well, you didn't have to do so much choosing then. You didn't have to be so choosy. You could love everything. You could love everything that way. <laughs> Lydia in Milwaukee emailed us with a question. She wants to know, why are butterfly wings so delicate?
1: Oh, that's interesting. I don't know the answer to that. But I will say that um, it's really interesting to look at them under a microscope. So if you have a chance to do that, if you can search with your parent online, look for images of butterfly wing under a microscope. One thing that surprises me when I see that is just how thin they are. They're just so, so thin. So my guess would be that the the fact that they're so fragile has something to do with how thin they are, right? If you have like a very thin, if you imagine a piece of paper that's like um, tissue paper, that's very thin like that. It's, it's also very fragile, right? It rips very easily. It's a great question.
0: Nevea wants to know how did people discover technology?
1: Ooh, interesting. And, um, it's funny because when you think about that, what well, what counts as technology, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we're thinking of like our our iPads or our smartphones, right? But even before that, do we consider things like just um, simple machines, things with gears? Like even a bicycle is a form of technology. So the answer to that is, you know, we've been using technology now for, for like that for thousands of years. Um, we saw if we look at at how human beings have been using technology, it's been in about the last 100 years, 150 years, where people have started to really make lots of things using um, mechanical parts, um, machines, factories. It's only been in 150 years or so that we've had big factories that can produce, you know, millions of things very quickly like that.
0: Let's take another call. Margot is joining us from Madison. Hi, Margot. Hi. Hi. What's your question for Mystery Doug? My question
1: is that what is the difference between dolphin and human lungs and how does that affect when, how does that affect the uh, difference between how dolphins can hold their breath for longer? That's such a great question. So what's, what's interesting about this is that dolphins are, I, I got to start by just telling you, I don't know a lot about the, the anatomy of dolphins, like their, how their lungs work. Um, one thing I can tell you though, is that as, With dolphins, you might know being mammals, there's going to be a lot of similarities between dolphins and human beings. So like us, they have two lungs. um, And like us, all mammals have a muscle that's under our lungs that pushes air in and out of our lungs, our diaphragm. That's the part that when that muscle, muscle has a spasm, that's what causes you to get hiccups. And so even without knowing much about the anatomy of dolphins, just knowing that they're mammals... I can make a guess that dolphins probably get hiccups like we do as well. Um, but as far as what, al- what allows them to hold their breath longer, it's a good question. I'm, I don't know the answer for sure, but if I had to make a guess, I would say that there's probably something to do with the size of their lungs. They might have bigger lungs than we have. Um, and there could even be something with their body needing less oxygen than we need, although I'm not totally sure. But that's a great question, Margot.
0: Margo, thank you so much for calling in. Let's bring in Maya now joining us from Hartford. Hi Maya.
1: Hi. Um if kids get the coronavirus as bad as um parents. That's such a good question. I'm so glad you asked that because this has such a really a really um, happy answer. One of the one of the things about this coronavirus that is maybe the if if we can say that there's one thing that's like good about it. It's been a relief, certainly, for all of the adults in your life, is that kids don't seem to be affected by this virus the way that older people do. In fact, many kids seem to get it and then don't really have any problems at all from it. Now, some kids can still get sick, but it's just a huge relief that this virus that's going around that, that we can know that, that kids in our lives are safe. That's a great question. Thanks for asking that.
0: Yeah, Maya, does that make you feel better about your about your own health? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you stay well. Thank you for calling in. We have uh, Mason who emailed, and Mason wants to know, Mystery Dog, how long do you think this coronavirus will last?
1: Mason, that's such a good question. Everyone's wondering that question. Um, people are really hopeful, but the truth is nobody knows how long it will stick around. Um, it's likely that the virus will probably be here for a long time, just like the cold goes around and just like the flu goes around. But the good news with that is that um, and part of why so many people are, are staying in their homes right now and staying safe in their homes is that it's giving everyone time. It's giving time to scientists and, and and, um, inventors who are working on ways to treat the virus, new medicines to treat the virus. And most hopeful of all is for them to get a vaccine that can prevent people from ever getting the virus. So even if it does stick around, uh, it's not necessarily bad. It's just, you know, that as long as we have the ability to treat it.
0: Mason, thank you so much. Let's bring in Sophie now, joining us from Madison. Hi there, Sophie. Hi.
1: How does the ventilators work? Oh, ventilators, right. You're hearing about ventilators in the news that are used in hospitals. So ventilators are used in hospitals when, um, when someone is so sick that they're having trouble breathing. And a ventilator is a really amazing machine. It's a really great invention because what it allows us to do is to help somebody who's having trouble breathing. In fact, this kind of relates to the question earlier about dolphins where we talked about there's a muscle that's below your lungs that helps to push air in and out of your lungs. And what a ventilator does is it basically acts like a, almost like a backup muscle, kind of a a helper to make that muscle move and push air in and out of your lungs for you. So that if you get so sick and you're so, so tired that you feel that you can't breathe anymore, then doctors can put a ventilator on and it enables your body to breathe for you.
0: Sophie, thank you so much. Tyler from Madison emailed and is wondering, can you count them? Mystery Doug, how many germs are in our body?
1: The other day I was just listening to a scientist who studies germs and this scientist said something really interesting, which is that there are germs everywhere. Um, In fact, if I don't call them just germs, we usually use the word germs just for the little microscopic organisms that hurt us. But the reality is there's millions of little microscopic organisms. They're all over the place. They're all over the ground. They're in the ocean. And most of them don't hurt us. Isn't that interesting? Hmm. So, when we, when we look at it that way, in fact, this scientist was saying that the ocean is full of millions of viruses. Um, if you just took a glass of ocean water, one glass has just like thousands of little viruses floating around in it. But most of them aren't viruses that can do any harm to us.
0: Well, we shouldn't rush to conclusions then, and we should have a little bit more of an open mind about, about viruses.
1: Maybe so, yeah.
0: Let's bring in Jack now, who's calling from Oregon. Hi, Jack. Hi, my question is, what was the first animal alive?
1: Oh, the very first animal alive. This is always an interesting question, right? Because that question, it's a question that kind of assumes that there was like a very first one ever. Um, And it's just interesting because when you think about it, it's like, well, how do we know there was a very first one ever? Sometimes, Jack, people like to ask this question in another form of what came first, the chicken or the egg? (laughs) Um, It's sort of a riddle people like to say. And the answer, the, the short answer really is um, the egg. But it's one of these things that you'll have to study a little bit more in school, some of the ideas behind how scientists figured out what was alive and on the earth way before we were even here to observe those things, before we were here to see them. So probably the answer for the earliest animal would have been a really, really simple animal. If you were to look at fossils of them, these would be things that just, they're very small, they look pretty plain. They're um, they're just super simple little things like look like little tiny slugs almost under a microscope.
0: Jack, thanks so much. Let's bring in Mira now joining us from DeForest. Hi, Mira. Hi. My question is how do pianos make their sound?
1: Oh, that's such a great question. That's one of those where Mira, if you ever have a chance to look inside of a piano, you have to do that. A friend of mine He has a piano that's been completely taken apart and you should look this up. If you don't, if you can't do this with a piano near you, look up on YouTube and see like inside of a piano, you'll find that there's wires in a piano. There's, there's strings, just like the strings on a guitar and they're wound up really tight. And amazingly the piano is just a stringed instrument like a guitar. And when you hit each key on the piano, it pulls a little tiny thing looks like a hammer that strikes the string and makes a sound. Like I said, if you get a chance, if you have a piano, like if you've seen the type of piano that's like a, a baby grand where you can open up the top of it, then you can actually look in there and see the strings. And if you ask the person who owns the piano, if you can touch it, tap on it with your finger and you'll see it'll make the same sound it makes as when you tap the keys on the piano.
0: Mira, do you play piano? Yes, Mom's teaching me. Oh, how is it going? What songs are you learning? Um, there's a few that I like to play.
1: One of them is Mary Has a Little Lamb. What makes you curious about the inside of it? Or what makes you wonder about how it works? Um, I've always liked listening to it. So I just wondered how it makes it sound. Do you have a... a, um, Does anyone ever come and tune your piano? Have you had that happen before? Um... No, but we are going to because it's out of tune. <laughs> well, when, that's a great opportunity. When that happens, when someone comes to tune your piano, ask if you can look in the back of it so that you can see for yourself.
0: Mira, thank you so much for calling in. Let's take another call now. Job is joining us. Job, what is your question? My question is,
1: how was the circuit board invented?
0: Can you say more, Job? Yes, Tell yes. me, what
1: makes you curious about circuit boards? Were you... were you? Um... Are you using a circuit board?
0: Mm-hmm. What do I, you do I, with circuit boards?
1: I, I, I take apart apart things and I look at circuit boards and they look kind of and they look kind of cool. Ah. They do look cool. I agree. And you know how you can actually find one of my favorite things is to find circuit board art. Like I saw some art recently that was someone had taken the the circuit board out of a computer and turn it into like a world map using all computer parts. It looks so cool. Those of you who don't know what Job's talking about, if you look like inside of any computer, now, if you have a laptop, you don't want to take it apart. But, it, you know, like a, a desktop computer, like a bigger one, you can actually, you can actually ask an adult that they can open up the case on it and you can look inside of there. And it's all of the, it, uh, the circuit board is the part that contains all of the things that makes the computer work. It's really kind of like the guts of the computer. And the most important part of that job was the the computer processor. It's really the brain of the computer. And that was invented. It's, it's, I don't know how, how if this is going to seem like a long time to you or not, but it was invented in the 1950s. So for a lot of you out there listening, that's I mean, that's when your grandparents were kids. So that's not that long ago to think that before that, they didn't have the ability to have computers like we have today.
0: Job, A great question. yeah, Job. Thank you so much. Let's bring in Izzy now. Hi, Izzy. What's your question?
1: How do lights work? Izzy, you're asking about lights, like the light bulbs in your in your house. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, yeah. Izzy. Are you are you able to see any of the light bulbs? Like, if you go flip the light switch on and off, are there? Do you have any light bulbs that are kind of clear where you can see inside of them? Yeah. Well, if you go and if you look at some of the ones that are clear, like I know some of the ones I have in my house are not clear and I can't see inside, but there's some I have, like in my dining room, that you know over my kitchen table, I can see inside of the bulb. There's a little wire, and right? these are the best kind to understand because these are these are sort of the simplest light bulbs. And electricity, when it comes through there, it it lights up. It actually heats up and lights up the wire. And it's, if you can ever see, like inside of a toaster, for example. It's just the exact same idea that when you run electricity through a little metal, metal wire, it heats it up so hot that it glows. And so that's how the very first kind of light bulb works. And nowadays, in the last like 20 years or so, there's a new type, type of light bulb that's getting used. It doesn't quite work that way. It's a little more complicated, but the simpler one to understand is, is the, the early light bulb like that. So if you have it in your house, you can go see for yourself. And, and when you turn the light switch on, see if you can see that little metal wire there and notice that it's glowing because it's hot.
0: Thank you so much Izzy for calling in. Let's bring in Mial now. Hi Mial. what's your question? Why is poison real? Why is poison real?
1: Mial, what makes you wonder that? Is it like like why do why does it even exist? Why do we have poison? Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's a great question. I see what you mean. Why why is there even such a thing as poison if it's so bad, right? Well, so poison, there's so many different kinds of things that, that, are, that could be poisons. A poison would just be anything that, if a living thing gets it in its body, could harm it. Um, any kind of, like, usually liquid or substance of some kind. And there are poisons that are invented, but there are poisons that are just part of nature, too. Like, for example, the, the venom in a poisonous in a venomous snake is a type of poison. When it gets into your body, if the snake bites, that's, a, that's an example of a natural poison. So there's poisons all around. Um, one, one kind of funny way to look at this is poisons aren't all bad. Um, when we're fighting germs, for example, many of the medications that, that fight against germs are kind of like a poison against the germ. So we can use poisons to attack the things that are attacking us.
0: Miel, thank you so much. Let's bring in Silas now, who is joining us from Green Bay. Hi, Silas.
1: Hi. Um, my question was like, how long does it take for a germ to destroy a whole cell? Silas, you said, how long does it take for a germ to destroy a whole cell? Yeah. 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 Right. So, so, so that's a really great question, Silas. It depends on the type of germ. Um, you know, if you're wondering this, like about the coronavirus, for example, the coronavirus, once it gets into a cell, it destroys it pretty quickly. Um, it actually goes inside the cell and, and scientists have found out that it then it starts to use the cell to make copies of itself. Um, and given that, you know, someone can get a, a few of these little um, bits of a, of a virus in their body and then within a few days they can be they can be spreading that disease to other people that means that it's getting inside of a lot of cells really quickly. So on the, probably we're thinking about something on the order of just minutes for it to get inside of, of some of those cells. But keep in mind, these things are all so small, including even your cells, right? Those of you out there who don't know what Silas is talking about with cells, these are these little tiny circles that our whole body is made up of that are microscopically small. So we're talking really small, so it sounds scary to hear that it could just take minutes to do that, but these are something that are just really tiny.
0: Well, Jay from Sun Prairie is wondering this question about dogs. Can dogs feel guilty?
1: Hmm, <laughs> It's interesting. And I have found out that this is a question that, um, that people really disagree about the answer. You know, some people I know when I was growing up with my dogs, I would have told you, I think definitely they can feel guilty. Have you ever seen your dog, for example, when they get yelled at for doing something bad? It seems like they look like they're doing something that, that, that looks like they feel guilt. But a lot of dog owners have been saying that we should be careful because um, it might be that we are just assuming because we feel guilt that dogs feel that way. And one thing we want to be really careful of with dogs is not to assume that they know all the things that we know, right, because then it might affect how we behave towards the dog. So oh, we're projecting.
0: It, yeah. Exactly. Ah. I mean,
1: give, give your dog a break. Don't assume that it knows it did something bad, right?
0: Well, let's bring in Cecily now in Hartford with a question about telephones. Hi, Cecily. Hi. I was wondering, how do telephones work?
1: Cecily, that's so interesting. and it And it matters what kinds of telephones. This is going to be similar to the to the question earlier about a light bulb, I always recommend if you're curious about how some, some kind of like complicated technology works, try to start with the simpler technology, try to go back to like, what were the very first ones? Because they're, that's always kind of the the starting idea. And then things get more and more complicated. So if we talk about like a cell phone, which, which is what I'm talking over right now, it works very differently from the very first telephones, more complicated. If I go with like the first telephones, um, Someone had to figure out a, a, a way to use, the, the vib- found out that the vibrations from your voice can be used to vibrate uh, material that then you can send through a wire. And on the other end, recreate those vibrations from somebody's voice. So basically, you're, you're taking the vibrations from your voice and turning them into a, a little um, electrical signal that can go through a wire and, and make vibrations on the other end that make an exact copy of the vibration's.
0: Of your voice. Oh, Isn't wow. That, that is cool. And Doug, we are out of time for all these great questions. Thank you so much for joining us. Was so fun. Thanks for having me. The Explorers Club is brought to you by Wisconsin Public Radio. I'm your host, Kate Archer Kent. This podcast was produced by Colleen Leahy and Brad Kohlberg. Carl Christensen wrote our music. Our executive producer is Molly Stentz. Do you like this episode? Let us know. We're at kids at WPR.org. You can find more episodes at WPR.org slash kids and wherever you get your podcasts. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.